Welcome to the Make Disciples podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Welcome back to another episode of the Make Disciples podcast. Joining me in the podcast studio today is Russell Matherly. Russell, welcome back. Hi, Dan. It's been a while. It's been a while, but good to have you here with us. And we get to have a a, a fun conversation today. Should be interesting diving into the topic of uh, the Trinity. Now, if you are only now joining us for this season of the Make Disciples podcast, you should know that we're talking about the doctrine of God. Now, doctrine sounds like this very austere and developed thing that should only be done by really a erudite people sitting in ivory towers somewhere. And our argument for this entire season is that, no, we are all theologians. We all have some sort of understanding of who God is, and it's important for us to think through these ideas. And so we want to understand more and more about who God is, what the Bible tells us about God, how we can understand God, as well as correcting wrong-headed notions about who God is. And so today we're talking about the concept of the Trinity, <laughs> and it's kind of diving into the deep end, right, Russell? We're, uh, we're getting into a rather complicated subject. It is. It is. It's very complicated, and so much so, I think, if I can just kind of tap into my, I don't know, my upbringing with it a little bit. It was almost kind of like, um, I don't know if anyone ever said this, but the Trinity was almost approached, at least from a you know preaching and teaching standpoint, as something that is, it's really dense, it's really confusing, it's really academic, it's not terribly, I'm using scare quotes here, practical. So maybe we'll talk in a kind of Trinitarian shape. We'll talk about the Father, we'll talk about the Son, occasionally we'll talk about the Holy Spirit in my upbringing. But I was never really given much of a Trinitarian framework, or it was said we believe that God is Trinity, but I was never really explained what that looks like kind of on the ground for, I think, the reasons you were just saying. Like, it's just kind of a, it can be seen as kind of like a heady, academic, um, disengaged, philosophical conversation almost. Yeah. So hopefully we can correct that with this conversation in the next 10 to 15 minutes, we're going to fix everything. That's right. Uh, but our goal is to say not only what it is, but why it's important to us. So we'll get there. But let's start with this first basic question. When we use this term Trinity, what do we actually mean? Yeah, when we're talking about the Trinity, what we mean is the way that God has revealed himself to us is one God in three persons. Now, we don't believe that it's three gods. We don't believe that the three persons of the Trinity make up the one God, but that the one God that we worship is um, known to us in three distinct persons. And it's also helpful that when we talk about the Trinity, it's also a way of kind of distinguishing which God we're talking about. Because there are a lot of different religions that um, may even believe in a God, but which God is it that we're talking about? There, there are a lot of different gods who, you know, in a lot of different religions that talk about salvation in one way or another, that talk about saving people from something or for something. There are a lot of gods in different religions and mythologies that can even be known at a personal level, even conversationally. But there is no other god in any other religion or mythology that is known in the same way that we believe the triune god is made known of being one god in three distinct persons. 
So it's a helpful way of saying even when we're having an interfaith dialogue or talking with someone else who may or may not be a Christian, um, just kind of distinguishing exactly which God is it we're talking about. Yeah. And let's be clear, we believe that there is only one God. And so when we talk about the other gods, we believe that they are either defective or just flat out wrong in that that those gods do not exist. Sure. And so that's one of the reasons we're having this conversation to describe the God that does exist. And now you used another term that's important. It's been revealed to us. We aren't talking about something that we are creating as humanity. Rather, it's something that we are trying to apprehend. So let's put this question out. How do we know that this idea of the Trinity is the actual understanding of God that we should be following? Yeah, it's a really helpful question. I think for one thing, you know, we talked about this a little bit the other day, but it's one thing to say, well, here's a couple of proof texts that have kind of a Trinitarian shape to it. And, and that's helpful. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 comes to mind. Um, grace of Lord Jesus, love of God, and fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit. Right? That kind of has a Trinitarian shape to it. And it's one thing to have kind of proof text, but I think it may be even more helpful just to kind of see the shape and the direction that the entire Bible takes, just to sort of see, like, for example, how Jesus talks about or interacts with the different persons of the Trinity to see that instead of, you know, because there really is no discourse. And this is something that heretics in the, and I use that word technically, in the early centuries of Christianity, when they're trying to sort through all this stuff would say, there is no Bible verse that specifically says, here's the Trinity and here's how it works. I say, so there, there is no Trinity. Um, but then the Orthodox Christians would push back on that and say, when you see that the way the scriptures work, that Jesus withdrew regularly in his earthly ministry to be with the Father, to commune with the Father. Um, the way that Jesus talks about, I only do what I see the Father doing. That creates that distinction, but that same essence, the way that Jesus talks about you know, um, to his disciples when he says, hey, I'm going to be leaving now, but I'm going to send the helper, the advocate, who's going to be here among you, and he is going to, he's talking about him personally. So again, rather than you know, proof texting certain things, which may be helpful depending on the conversation. Um, I think it's probably more helpful to just see the way the biblical authors talked about how to interact with the Trinity. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And to your point, we can point people to different biblical texts if you want to talk about this further. Both of us would love to sit down over coffee with any of our listeners and uh, talk about those. But it's an important thing to note that we learning how to interact with them as Trinity to say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God, and yet three distinct persons at the same time. And we've already noted here, uh, you've mentioned this before, that the Trinitarian notion is distinctive to Christianity. There are other religions out there that are monotheistic, that believe in one God, but do not hold to a Trinitarian monotheism, and even uh, what I would refer to as alternative or non-Christian Christianities like the LDS Church or Jehovah's Witnesses don't hold to the Trinity, and certainly polytheistic traditions move away in there. But there are some who would argue that we just need to iron out these differences, that it may look a little different, but does it really matter? I mean, you believe in one God, one God, but in three persons or three gods. I mean, can't we just iron out these differences and get along? I guess the question here is, 
Why is this so foundational for us as Christians? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that even you know, as we look back in history throughout the centuries, um, even after you know the Nicene Creed kind of and the Athanasian Creed kind of laid these things out, and early Christians debated this. I mean, it's still that debate still continues in a different sort of way, but it still continues through this day. So I think that question continues to pop up. I was listening to podcast with a theologian named Robert Lethem. And I think well, one thing he said was really helpful for me. He said, um, a heresy, you know, the word gets thrown around in a lot of different ways, but he said, what a heresy is at its core is something that if it's true, it would kill Christianity. So in other words, there are tons of different things that even within Christianity that we can debate, you know, differences in the mode of baptism or the charismatic gifts or church government, those things. And they're important. I'm not saying they're not important and they're worth discussion and debate. But whatever ends up being true in either of those debates, it doesn't change the core or the essence of what Christianity is. And like we said earlier, it Christ- doesn't move us outside of Christianity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like what we said earlier, you know, um, the Trinity is a core doctrine. That is the God that we are talking about when we talk about God. So the Trinity fundamentally changes the shape of Christianity, um, whether it's true or not. But I also think that, you know, if we come to the Trinity as sort of an intellectual puzzle to be solved, um, we'll just kind of get burnt out or frustrated because we can't understand the Trinity exhaustively. But as you said before, Dan, just because we can't know it exhaustively, it doesn't mean we can't know it at all. And I love Michael Reeves' little book, Delighting in the Trinity, because he starts with the idea that God is love because God is Trinity. And for me, personally, that was a game changer. It turned the gem because now I'm not looking at the Trinity, you know, under a microscope or like a fact to analyze, but I'm looking at it as a reality that I can experience. And Michael Reeves says that the Christian life is one of being brought to share the delight Father, Son, and Spirit have for each other. The love within the Trinity spills out in God's creation. And I mean, you think about it, like he didn't have to create anything, but wanted to share his love. And when we see the Trinity as a divine mystery based on love, it kind of changes the way we see things like prayer and worship and theology and invites us to enjoy God. So There again, I think just at an experiential level, it's important to understand or to talk about in the best practices that we have as Christians available to us. It's helpful to be precise. It's helpful to be clear in these things because it affects so many other areas of our life and of our faith. Yeah, that's a good way to uh, wrap up what we're talking about here because it is so much more than just an intellectual exercise. If we reduce God to something that is simply to be thought about, we're missing how God wants us to have this experiential communion with him, Father, Son, and Spirit, and how all of that has to do with our walk with him. So that's good stuff. And we should mention that you uh, brought up a a book that has been very well received, and uh, so we do want to recommend it, Michael Reeves' book, Delighting in the Trinity. Now, For you, our listeners, my apologies. We've already been mentioning a lot of books so far this season, and we'll have a wrap-up episode at the end with a lot more books talking about the Trinity, because there's a lot of good stuff out there. So pick one. Decide one that uh, would be useful for you to uh, read and to help in your uh, spiritual growth, and we'll uh, continue to offer suggestions along the way, things to think about. Well, 
do we all understand the Trinity now? Have we figured it out completely? I think we've got it. I do want to say just one more thing, not book recommendations necessarily, but just other resources that can be helpful. I think understanding the Christian tradition that's been handed down to us, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every couple of years. Yes, absolutely. Um, Understanding that there are those who have gone before us who have thought on this deep level, deeper than I ever could, um, who have already kind of worked through these things and given us helpful language. I would just point people to, to be honest, the the three kind of ecumenical creeds, the Apostles' Hmm. Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. I think the Athanasian Creed maybe has some of the clearest language about the Trinity per se, but just to see how these doctrines and different things fit in with the Christian faith in general. I just say, let's go back into the pages of history and understand how people have already thought about this and what's been handed down to us as Christians. Yeah. So I am biased as a a historian by training, but the further I go on in my Christian walk, the more I want to read things like the creeds because it does ground me. Now, I would argue that that's secondary in my reading to what the Bible itself says, but Absolutely. it helps me understand how, how Christians have navigated scripture and have put it together to help their own understanding. So that's a great place to go. Well, thank you for joining us, Russell, for this episode of Make Disciples Podcast. Glad to have you here with us. And uh, hopefully we can get you back for another episode this season. Thanks for having me, Dan. Always fun to kick it around for a while. And thank you, listener, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for the Make Disciples podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Please join us again for our next episode of Make Disciples.